Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you for joining us. My name is David Bowden. Is it? I never say my name at the beginning of these things. I've always yeah. wondered that. And it's always just, and this is my... And with me as always, always is it's... my compatriot... Uh, partner in crime? Sous chef. That's true. Uh, partner, in, partner in chefery. Partner in chefery. <laughs> Seth Stewart. Seth Stewart. <laughs> How is that? Was if that... I have a Twitter, if I had a Twitter... Yes. I would put partner in chefery as my bio. <laughs> and no one would know what it meant know what unless they listened to, to this, this very episode. exciting episode on Joshua 10 through 12, which is, everyone's going to flock to this episode. You watch. It's going to be, it's, I mean, it's. No, no, they're going to go to next week's with the land allotments. Oh, the land allotments is particularly exciting. Yes. Actually, you're really excited about the land allotments. I am actually, because you made me write the deals yeah. for them. <laughs> More excited I'll, than I'll you vent are. about that next week. Uh, but more excited than you are for these particular passages, potentially. <laughs> yes, I think so, because I spent more time meditating on them. You've spent yeah. more time meditating on this passage, uh, yeah. and you still kind of are like, well, this might be a shorter episode. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, I think partly because of the, like, it's almost so much happens in these mm. next couple chapters, it's kind of hard to get your head around. So, yeah, it's strange. It's like we're used to hearing all these preparations for the battles that the people are about to go through, how it's supposed to happen, who gave them the commandment, what exactly happened, when. Yeah, battle strategy. Go ambush them yeah. by going to the south side of the city. And then like, all of a sudden, here in these two chapters, they conquer like the whole land. Yes, and it's like all over. Thirty-one kings are listed. Yeah, thirty-one kings. Uh, And but the so there is a narrative effect if you're paying attention for such things. So Mm. you have like Jericho and AI, and then you have the five king, the coalition against the five kings, and they all get like whole chapters, multiple chapters dedicated to them. And then here, as Israel moves, so like when they came into the into the land of Canaan, they kind of come into like the middle of it. So the middle hill countries, so uh-huh. the middle of the countries, a whole bunch of hills. That's where they cross over the Jordan River. That's where uh, Shechem is. That's where Jericho is. That's where AI is. And they kind of take over that central spot. And they move down to the south. Mm-hmm. And all those battles in the central hill country um, take multiple chapters. But when they go down to the south, they all speed up. Right. So there's still more. There's still details about how the battles take place, where they go, some like narrative details about mm-hmm. how they take it over, whether or not they burn the city or whatever. And then when they go up to the north, it speeds up even more. Less details are given, mm. more place names and kings are given. And then by chap- by the time you get to chapter 12, it's not even, no narrative details. It's just king defeated, king defeated, king defeated. Yeah. So as you're reading it, it should kind of like play with your sense of time. Right. Like as like, one military campaign takes, uh, you know, a week and three chapters of scripture. And yeah. then by the end of it, whole years worth of conquest or in are half a verse. Half in half a verse. <laughs> so it's like you have this compounding sense that God is like speeding up history mm. for uh, Israel's victory. Right. Which I, I suppose if there's theological 
truth to be gleaned from that other than like hey it's narr- it's narratively brilliant yeah we're speeding it up mm-hmm. uh it's like we showed you how victory works and how defeat works in jericho and ai respectively mm-hmm. right right and now this is how the rest panned out and so yeah. we can make, make assumptions about how israel's heart was during that time because we're not given details yes it's uh, like but then, you've seen yeah. into the spider-verse Oh yes, so good. How uh, the first like prequel when they t- oh, they talk yes. about how uh, Peter Parker's origin story basically the yep. first version, but by the time you get to the pig yep. spider pig, it's like two seconds long. That's right. You don't need all the details because they anymore. all follow the same formula. They all follow the same formula, so they yes. go stack on top of each other. They're like, oh man, this is exciting. What next? Right. That's what's happening. That's true, and it's also probably supposed to communicate the effortlessness of God's mighty arm. Yes. That it's just like, and this king, this king, you know, like I can just knock him off. Uh, You know, I I just have to think that, especially like when Israel is told that they're going to win, it's I've given this city over to you. I've given you victory. And so God has given them the land, which he says, I believe in this passage. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like proof positive. Here you go. One fail swoop in two short chapters. Yeah. It's yours. What you're supposed to take away from it is like the Lord has given... The land Israel. Yes. The Lord has fought for Israel and has given it to, I think, four different times in this mm-hmm. in this section. We're told that the Lord fights for Israel um, and gives them all the land. So it's pretty clear. And they do it because Israel's obedient. Right. I think over and over again, we hear the phrase, uh, and Joshua did just as he was commanded, or just as the Lord said, yes. Joshua did. Right. So you have victory, like increasingly sped up visions of victory in battle. At the same time of God of Joshua and Israel's consistent obedience, mm. so as Israel's obedient, more and more victory happens, and the land is taken over okay. until they have rest. That's helpful. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Okay, so give me the quick sweep through. Then follow the narrative speed. Okay, okay, okay. and just help us because it's kind of confusing to read, and it's also a little glazy to the eyes mm-hmm. sometimes. It's glazy. I glazed many times. Yes, when I was preparing for this. And so maybe uh, get give everyone here listening a yeah. little a little narrative a narrative sure. version of what happens in these two and a half chapters. So Joshua ten twenty nine begins the conquest of Southern Canaan, and it records the six victories in southern canaan okay and they move if you have a map in front of you basically from northwest to northeast or southwest to southeast so just imagine like a little crescent oh okay uh from down and then back up again okay that they're just wiping out all those uh cities along the way and they're all about six or seven miles away from each other so it's like they hit one stay there hit the next one Mm. stay there hit the next one stay there until the whole southern Canaan is um, destroyed. Okay. And you have, um, at the very end, you have a kind of a concluding like um, summary of why were they successful. Uh, and Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time, so one military campaign, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Mm. Then Joshua returned with Israel, uh, with him to the camp at Gilgal, which is right there by the Jordan River where they first started. Okay. So whole southern kingdom. Southern kingdom done. One, because, one campaign. Because God fought for them. That's exactly right. Got it. Then when you go back to the northern kingdom, so they come back to their central perch in the middle of the hill country. Yes. They're looking down on the northern kingdom. And as they look down the northern kingdom, you have a repetition of a, another coalition. Right. You have another Just coalition. like the five kings. Just like the five kings in the south, there's a coalition of several more kings in the north, and we're only given two and, names, Jabin oh, and Jobab. Okay. But, but yeah. there's like more more peoples listed, right? Yes. There's so a, it's like there is an amplification here. 
Yes. Right. Yes. And so you uh, and they and then you also have some like fun narrative details, which gives drama. So verse four and they referring to the enemy armies came out with all their troops, a great horde in number, like the sand that is on the seashore. Yeah, that that's how Israel's supposed to be described. Yes. Yeah. And a great horde in number. Oh, sorry. With very many horses and chariots. So this also represents a technological advancement oh. in the enemies that they're facing. So you don't have any mention of chariots or te- technology in like the land this. yet. But do you remember? Do you remember the last time you read about chariots in scripture? I mean, is it Exodus? It's Exodus yeah. with Pharaoh. So right. it's like an amplification of the battle. You have the enemies being described as Israel is supposed to be described according to the promise of Abraham. Yeah. And they're filled with the technology of the land of Egypt. They have as many people as Israel, mm-hmm. but as big of guns as Egypt. Yes. Yes. So it's like, it's a big <laughs> deal. It's really a funny. big battle. Um, and then, so it's important then in verse six, we see, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks God. Because <laughs> I would be very scared. And for because tomorrow at this time I will give them over all uh, I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You will hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. The technological advancements that mm. are represented in the north will be of no consequence, and the population advantage is of no consequence because all of them will be handed over tomorrow. Yes, you can't kill that many people in one day. Like yes, you, know? you cannot. <laughs> like, uh yes that's exactly right it's a it's a big deal it's a big deal um and i don't know if it literally has to happen in a day but it's like the decisive victory is won totally in in a day because i think the idea is this took several months probably to get through it and the big and the big deal here too is so that's a big deal Uh uh-huh god's defeating them when they're not afraid and they're trusting in him, but they're also taking, uh, they're also that obedience, sorry, is mentioned again, verse 15, just the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant. So Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded to Moses. Yeah. Which is an important theme that gets repeated in 12, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Just want to yeah. flag that. Uh, yep. And so they go through all the cities, destroying them, and they burn one city to the ground named Hazor. Mm. And Hazor was essentially the military capital of Canaan, so or just the civilization capital of Canaan. It was the largest, biggest, most impressive city. And it's part of the reason why they probably, it's the only city that we're that we told it's burned to the ground. Oh. So it was the center of all that idolatrous child sacrificing, oh. pagan religion, practice. It was a cultural center for all that. Like if the villages were practicing child sacrifice and temple prostitution, it was because Hazor was. Mm. So Hazor's burned to the ground. Wow. It's, it is the devoted to destruction. Yeah, it's devoted totally. to destruction. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much the whole story. Okay. And at the very end, starting in verse 16, you kind of have a summary of what's just happened. So Joshua took all the land, the hill country and the Negeb and all the land of Goshen and the lowland and the Arabah, which rises towards Seir as far as Belgad and the Valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. It's kind of summary. From sea to shining sea. That's exactly with right. the amber waves of grain. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think about like <laughs> what, would, right. what would be language that we would understand? Because this is hard for From me to listen to. Coast. From coast to coast. Yeah. Um, From Canada to Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Like, we like... Annihilate our our international listeners are like, what? What? Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Yes. So that's exactly right. So Joshua is like, his victory is summed up. Interestingly, Uh 
there is some land that's left off of this list. Right. So the land, the coastal lands, like right next to the Mediterranean, are probably a really important one. Yeah. Um, be a hard-fought victory. It'd be a hard-fought victory, and eventually we'll see that Josh will defeat them later. Yeah. Um, but for now, like they're not mentioned. Mm-hmm. And the idea, though, is that Joshua has been obedient to the Lord. They have not been afraid, and every time they go into battle, they win because of God. Because of God, and. Even and so and then we have this interpretive phrasing in verse twenty, which also should get us back to uh, the land of Egypt. It says, "For it was the Lord's doing." Oh, they took all of them in battle because it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, in order that they should be devoted to destruction and receive no mercy, but be destroyed, just as the Lord promised Moses. Hmm. So the same thing we got back in uh, Egypt with Pharaoh. God yep. hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then it happened again, and then it happened again. And what did it do? It proved God's power mm-hmm. and kind of the pride and stupidity of Pharaoh in right. the same moment. So the same thing's happening here. You have these, you have these uh, people who could have chosen to repent, like Rahab, mm. like Gibeon, who are hard-heartedly refusing to because of God's hand, and they're suffering the consequences mm-hmm. for their stupidity and their pride, and God is showing his power uh, and his promise and keeping his promises to Israel. At the same yeah, time. and he's told to do so. God does this without mercy. Um, yeah, so that they should receive no mercy, but be destroyed, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Yeah, it's just like I, I that struck me when I was reading it. Yeah, it's a it's a really intense phrase because I think uh, I think a, fa- a false belief that probably a lot of Western people have about mm-hmm. God is yeah. that mercy is uh, intrinsic to everything He does. Or that like mm. God is beholden to mercy, yeah. That he must be merciful. I mean, he tends towards mercy, yes, right? So absolutely. It's like we talked about how in when he talks to Moses, uh-huh. uh, that he extends mercy to a thousand generations, yep. uh, steadfast love to thousands mm-hmm. of generations. But he will not pardon the guilty to the third and fourth generations. Right. There's like mercy outweighs justice yes. in some sense, but justice still exists. And when you have a civilization for hundreds and hundreds of years that is built on infanticide, yeah. cult prostitution, um, and then like even just read the ancient accounts of the Amorites, the Canaanites, mm. it's just a brutal society. Yeah. God has no mercy for the hard-hearted rejection of him uh, that leads to the destruction of the life that he created and he wants to save. Yeah. And so... Uh, we, we we have this final statement then at the end of verse 11. That's really important, right? Uh, verse 11? Uh, 11 chapter 11. 11. Oh, before Sorry. we get there. Okay, so yep. we have the summary account of all of the battles that happen. Mm. And then, which is interesting, after that, you get this little phrase in 21 about the Anakim in the hill oh, country. Oh, yes. So And they're in the hill country, which is weird because they started in the hill country, then they went to the south, oh. and they went to the north, and now we're back at the hill country after the summary of all the defeats. So the Anakim are a weird bunch of people. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. But they start in Genesis 6 with these characters called the Nephilim, Mm -hmm. where there's this weird incident where the sons of God, or the sons of God and the daughters of men have sex, maybe, and create these like demonic, angelic, maybe hybrid type creatures. Yep. And regardless of what they actually are. Biologically. (laughs) Biologically or spiritually, they're symbolic of like spiritual darkness. Yes. 
and the book of numbers picks on, on up up again and it mm-hmm. calls them anakim are the yep. descendants of those spiritually dark forces called the nephilim, the nephilim. Yep. and here the final battle is reserved for these spiritual forces of darkness interesting and they're wiped out they're the last ones to be wiped out and they're gone totally destroyed yeah the, and we're we're just we're just told like really really like kind of half-heartedly it's mm-hmm. just like and joshua came at that time and cut off the anakim from the hill country it's yep. like, that was it <laughs> yep full stop yep that's right and uh he destroys them all although listen here there was none of the of the anakim left in the land of the people of israel only in gaza in gath and ashdod so there's a couple right. towns left and gath is where goliath's from uh, so there is some like yep. uh, but also those towns are so far away they're not in the hill country so yeah. it's like they're outside the bounds of what but Israel's inside doing. the land no more of these spiritual opponents exist exactly of right. the, the, the descendants of the Nephilim. No physical opponents exist uh, because they've destroyed the Canaanites. And so that's when we get this statement, which is, and the land had rest from war. Yes, and the land had rest from war. Yeah. So okay. let me ask you the question here. Yeah. And this is, and I think you thought about this a little bit more than me. Why is it important that the land has rest from war mm. and not the people have rest from war? Yeah. Well, uh, I think one, we don't have a connection to the land like they did back then. Right. So we just, we don't think about being land people, you know, we don't, we're not tied to our land the way that they were. Yeah. And so for people to have rest from war is for the land to be able to be cultivated. Like, because the men of war are coming home and being farmers. Right. And so for the land to have rest from war means blood's not being spilt on the ground. Seed is, you know, mm. and in like, you know, it it's like chariot think, wheels tilling up the soil. It's hose. It you makes know? me think really differently about that phrase. Is it in Micah where he says you'll turn your swords? Swords into plowshares. It's also in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah. It's, it's, like, a, it's oh, twice. It's like, oh, that's really concretely what normally happens. Yep. You trade your sword after military victory for a plowshare. That's right. And plow the land that in the land that you now live yeah. in. So that is, uh, I think, more like boots on the ground, what that means. Yeah. But there's a huge the- theological category for this statement as well, which is uh, because and it's built for us in the law, in the yeah. Torah. It talks about how um, at, at one point, Israel's sin is going to get so out of control, they're going to be serving rival gods, that God will exile them from the land so that the land can experience its Shabbat it's Sabbath, it's rest. Mm -hmm. And so there is something about how Israel is in covenant with Yahweh and like how they are working with God and obeying his law and how that corresponds to the land of Israel. Mm. And so uh, if Israel's obeying God, there's peace in the land. God's presence is in the land. There's purity in the land. There's shalom, Shabbat peace and rest in the land um but if israel brings sin into the land there's discord and war and famine so when you say the rand had the land had rest do you mean like um i'm thinking about the chaos that normally comes with having like a bloodshedding environment denying people yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. have a civilization like the canaanites who probably don't care for creation because they don't have a theology of creation. That's right. The so land was not resting under the Canaanites. So they're just destroying it. They're 
using farming practices that you know like there's like all sorts of ancient farming practices that just don't use the ground and right. Israel like you're like don't use that land on the seventh year let it rest and let it lie fallow so that it can like produce more land right. maybe that wasn't happening there maybe the way that they conducted battle like uh, there's all sorts of laws about you can't like salt all the fields to destroy the land uh-huh. in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Leviticus for Israel right but other nations didn't they did scorched earth policies scorched earth they just destroyed everything so nothing could grow there for anybody mm-hmm. so is that kind of what you mean when you say the land had rest that like you have this civilization that doesn't care about the land doesn't care about the people and it's just chaotic mess so now that when israel comes in the land itself can start to like refresh and revive yeah, yeah definitely that's definitely one component of it where canaan under canaan the land of israel did not have rest um it was under the curse brambles and thorns mm-hmm. uh came from the work of the canaanites hands but when okay. israel comes in it's everyone will have a tree that they will sit under. You'll you'll have vineyards. Your crops will be plentiful, and you have these promises of plenty okay. uh, coming in. Um, but there's also this theological category for it that um, is pointing beyond something than healthy crops and happy donkeys <laughs> and yeah. sunshiny days. That's very good, and God gives that to His people Israel when they obey Him. That's promised in the law. But there is a peace and shalom that can exist in the land whether or not there are inhabitants there okay like that's promised in deuteronomy what do, what do you mean by that peace i mean that is... i mean that there is something about the land that god has promised to israel that is meant to be an, a habitation of peace and purity mm, so like more like conceptually like when the land has rest from warfare peace as like an idea or like as a person like god the god of peace the god of peace comes well there yes okay yes and uh and i think ultimately it's that these little threads have been put in scripture to lead us forward <laughs> because no matter what happens in israel they never find rest <laughs> they yeah. never actually get peace we're about to have all this peace disrupted even in the coming yeah. chapters right yeah. after it's said and so i think all i'm saying is that the human heart when it encounters the story of israel is longing for a utopia mm. a place of peace and rest free from sin and thorns and war and violence and animosity right the garden of eden and like wakanda. this is what there's yeah wakanda or wakanda yeah because like, <laughs> I, I have like a category in my mind of like a land at rest uh-huh. it's just like you said like a utopia that you stumble upon like oh this is what the world is supposed to be like yeah and i kind of got that i was re-watching wakanda with shiloh or black panther <laughs> black panther yeah, yeah, yeah. uh black panther with shiloh. totally but like i think what i'm getting at is like that land can exist mm-hmm. whether or not we live in it oh okay yeah. so it's not just it's like techno- god's kingdom god's kingdom it's a place where there is peace it's a kingdom of peace. Like God made the garden before he put people in it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm getting at is like yeah. the land had rest. The land had peace. Mm. And then Israel as the people of the land were invited into that peace that the land had. Because there will come a time when Israel will not be at peace with God and he will exile them out of the land. And then the land will have peace. But Israel won't be in it and like engaging in that peace and so like i think as as i've been reading through joshua already it's like i've been like putting joshua and the people in the primary like position of blessedness like Mm -hmm. because they're obeying they're experiencing release from their enemies so that they can settle in the land and they can have a home Mm -hmm. but the way that you're making it sound is like no no like that's secondary to the idea of the land itself being at rest 
Or is it like, no, they're just two themes that are happening simultaneously. Yeah, they're definitely two themes that are happening happening simultaneously. But God is ransoming for himself a piece of earth hmm. because he wants to come back and live among yeah. his people and dwell with them. And so like, like he wants to make Eden again. And so he has to clean up a patch of earth for himself hmm. that's ritually pure, that's full of shalom, that's full of rest, that is living in the seventh day of the Garden of Eden. And yeah. he needs a place where he can come and be a land that has rest. It's really interesting to think about rest and peace as the primary ends for like all the war that we're reading yes. about. Which I mean, I guess makes sense. Makes you sense. don't go to war to have more wars. You nope. go to war to end war. Yep. Um, to get peace. To get peace. Um, so keep that in mind as I just quickly talk about chapter 12. So okay. chapter 12 essentially just rounds out all the remaining victories and summarizes all the victories of Moses and Joshua. Mm. Joshua conquers, th in, in total, I think it's 31 kingdoms. Yeah, 31 kingdoms. 31 yep. kingdoms, and it's really fast-paced, like as we said before. It's yes. ratcheted up. God is bringing peace at an increasingly rapid rate in the land. And I thought it was really interesting that David in Psalm 135 and 136 picks up from here hmm. and talks about how God giving peace to the land and God defeating her enemies and naming like Sihon and Og and some of these characters that we read about here as a... Um, evidence of God's steadfast and covenant love. Mm. Like he's like the psalmist is reflecting back on the conquest narrative as proof of God's love, mm. which I think is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. We don't typically read it like that. Right. It's like, it's a problem to be solved. It's uh, something to explain away. It's a genocide we have to deal with. Uh -huh. Like It's like, no, it's a picture of God's love. It's a picture of God's love. Mm. Uh, and so I was like challenged as I read back on, Psalm 135, 136, like, do, can I meditate on scripture the way that David did? Can mm. I read the, this as evidence of God's love and um, the desire with the desire of his heart being towards peace mm. and rest for his people and for his land? Okay, so that's really all that kind of happens in this passage of yeah. scripture. We have the taking over the, of the entire land by God's hand through Israel's obedience and him proving that he is the God over everyone. Any army that looks like Egypt, totally destroyed. Yep. Any spiritual army that's destroyed. still there. Destroyed. Yep. It's, it's so the, the, God wins. God wins. That's, at that's the, the end story. of the day, God wins. And it's like... And it just repeats the stories we've already heard mm -hmm. in uh, Joshua 6, 8, 9, 10. Yep. Like, God wins. That's the, the summary of it. So as we think about looking and seeing Jesus in this passage, we kind of have a unique challenge here because mm -hmm. we're kind of, I think what it feels like is we're being asked to meditate on Jesus. Not so much in the details of the text, which it's like... There aren't any. Yeah. There's <laughs> like, there's not many. Like, we have the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. We yep. have... Um, the similarity between the armies in Egypt, but really it's like obedience and victory in battle. Yeah. And that's all we have. Mm. And so uh, the way that I kept thinking about it was like, man, I think we need to meditate on Jesus as a warrior. Yeah, because that is a biblical category. It is and a biblical And we don't really category. have a ton of texts that kind of leave us no other avenue to get to Jesus other than his sword. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. And so here we have a really clear example of God as a warrior mm. against his enemies. Yeah. And in this context, it was like literal flesh and blood enemies. Yeah, right. Like the only, the only, the only like blended enemy is the Anakim. Right. Other That's than exactly that, it's right. like people. And so we have pretty clear categories though for enemies in the New Testament. Mm. Paul says it are enemies are not flesh and blood. Right. But against every principality and power that sets himself up against um god and i god, can't remember yeah, yeah. Against, <laughs> against god and yeah. Yeah, god and his and gospel us. yeah um so when we think about god as a warrior now or jesus in particular as a warrior mm. we should think of him as a warrior against the principalities and powers not necessarily Pilate or the roman empire but the powers that animate those powers yes the demonic like the demonic ideas that influence child sacrifice the the fallen angels behind the nephilim that's exactly yes. that's exactly that's exactly right, right. cuz it's like child sacrifice cult prostitution doesn't come out of nowhere right that's not and I would probably won't even say it's like it's not even a human invention. Who wants to kill their own children? Like there is a demonic, satanic conspiracy yes. against God's creation right. that's infusing itself into civilizations yes. to destroy itself. Yeah, if you want if you don't believe that, read Genesis three again. It's like and everything was perfect in paradise. And then the snake came along and said, mm, did God really say that? And he's like trying to make Adam and Eve cannibalistic. Yeah. To eat their own paradise to their own peril. Like, yeah. like what? The, the enemies of God hate not just God, but yes, God, mm -hmm. but the very idea of life. Mm -hmm. And so anything we experience that runs counter to life is from, not from God. It's, from, <laughs> it's like, it's from the enemy. It's yes. from Satan. It's from a principality and a power right. behind the powers. Yeah. Um, and Jesus does battle against those. Yeah. Uh, I think I sent a you a whole list of mm. like different ways in which um, we like the, the New Testament talks about spiritual forces. I know like um, uh, a spiritual force prevents Paul and Silas from going to Thessalonica. Like they mm. were physically prevented. I like physically, spiritually prevented from going to Thessalonica by a spiritually dark enemy. I know that Peter talks about sin stalking and hunting us like yes. a lion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I pulled up what you sent me. It's like uh, you have the power of Satan, which is mentioned in Acts twenty six eighteen, and we're told that he has fiery darts. Uh, that, by Paul. Uh, uh, by in, Paul. In Ephesians six. Yeah. Fiery darts, the evil one. That he has he schemes to lie um, uh, to us, and, and they. Uh, Oh, it says uh, his schemes lie behind failure by Christians to forgive each other and be reconciled. Second mm. Corinthians, where he's like working through discord and yeah. what's that feeling you feel that's like I don't want to forgive them. Who's fanning that into flame? The enemy. Your enemy. The enemy. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. I don't normally think of my interpersonal problems as animated by Satan, right? Or like fueled by Satan or right. fanned into flame, which by can Satan. be over exaggerated. Yep. Right? Totally. It's totally. Our, also our heart's desires that lead to that. James tells us, mm -hmm. but Satan is acting. It's in the same way. Be like, well, the Holy Spirit didn't make me be generous today, so I guess I'm just going to be stingy. It's like, no, you have to do something yeah, too. Yeah. It's like, but it's there, part of the, but like part of the equation. Yes, but Satan is there doing things. It says here in uh, referencing Second Corinthians four four that he that Satan is also um, an expert at disinformation, blinding the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the gospel's light we're, we're literally told that satan puts a veil up over the gospel so that whenever you're talking to your friends about god 
And they're like, I just don't get it. Like, the reason they don't get it is because Satan is blinding their eyes. Like mm. there are, we just don't think about this, we that just, we have enemies, that we're yeah. in a fight. Yeah. Um, I know I don't think about that often enough. One of the things that we've been doing in the office behind the scenes is just praying through the Psalms. Yeah. And like what we've been surprised by consistently is how often David talks about enemies. I mean, he's a king yes. leading a, a kingdom. And, and he's, he's in war. And he's in war all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's natural for him. But so as we've been trying to pray through all those enemies, it's been kind of actually been really helpful for me to start naming things I don't normally name as enemies. Like, yeah. like I, know, I don't normally think of like, oh, depression is like a mental health problem. Right. Or. Which it is. It is. And it is an enemy. Yes. It like threatens the peace and shalom God wants for my heart and right. for my mind. Like yep. anxiety is an enemy. Yes, it's a mental health issue and there's cognitive things and there's brain chemistry things, yep. but it is also an enemy and part of God's, a part of the cursed world that prevents us from experiencing the God of life and peace. That's right. There's an enemy behind dictators, right? Yes. As well, like the political powers. There's an enemy behind police brutality. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. what would make someone do that? Like, yes, you know, it's like and that's not saying like every cop, you know, right. I'm no, just saying, of like, course not. <laughs> but like there's an enemy behind when bad things happen. <laughs> like, yes. And we just don't. Uh, and I think we, I think we either t- tend to over spiritualize or under spiritualize it. Yeah, I think I grew up in a tradition where like there's a demon behind every bush. Right. Every headache. Demon headache, headache yes, demon. Headache like, demon. There is the like, cast it out. Cast it. Cat, and it's ca- like, no, I slept weird last night. Yeah, <laughs> that's part of it. But there's also another side of Christianity that says, no, 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 everything has like it's sin. It's your fault, right. somebody else's fault, or our culture's fault. I'm like, well, that's part of it. And I think the most helpful. I, I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast, but mm. whenever I went to India, oh, uh, we yeah. did this like um, we we got connected with some believers in this unreached people group up in Kashmir, and right. so we were doing this discipleship training thing. And as we are like preaching to them, like this one girl is like become becomes apparently like she's severely demonically oppressed, right. and she's doing all this crazy stuff. She's throwing people against the walls. She's banging her head on the ground. It's like crazy. But as we also talk to her and are praying for her, we also learn like she's been ritualistically abused by the Buddhist monks back home who would hang her upside down for days on end until her episodes would end. It's like, okay, she's not just demonized, she's psychologically traumatized, Mm -hmm. or they would just let her walk off into the wilderness. We also come to find out that she's been sexually abused multiple times in her life. So what's happening? Is Is that Satan's fault? Yeah. Is it cognitive issues or psychological problems? Yeah. Is it is man's it, fault? Is it man's fault? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and like the, we normally want to reduce it down to only the world or only spirituality. Right. But like, what does scripture say? Hey, the world, the flesh, and, and the, the devil. devil. And all those three are conspiring against the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. We have enemies. Yes. Is the shorthand of this. That's right. And Jesus is a warrior against them. Yes. Yes. Jesus is a warrior. He's often described even as a warrior. Um, you quoted this verse before we started. Matthew, uh, Matthew 10. He says, I do not come to bring peace, but a, but a sword. sword and to set father against son and, and mother, mother against, against daughter. daughter and father-in-law against daughter-in-law. Yeah. It's crazy. We don't uh, often think about God or Jesus. I mean, yeah. bringing a sword, but I, and as I was thinking about then as the cross, right. As a battle strategy, hmm. it's like, so you have like, God has a battle strategy. Mm-hmm. And it's the cross. And I was kind of thinking about like, why does that make sense? Uh, like, cause I think we normally think of, of God's nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Jesus is nonviolence. Yes. He didn't 
hold a sword on the cross, but had swords impaled to his side. Right. He turned the other cheek. He turned the other cheek. He didn't flog other people. But then I, then I sort of th- thought about it like a game of chess. Hmm. Like you can beat your opponent by sacrificing your queen. Right. There is a battle strategy that includes strategic loss. Mm-hmm. And God, as a master warrior, as a master chess player, is willing to allow his most powerful piece fall, himself fall. His, himself, yeah. So that the enemy is defeated. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, what a way to conquer. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's important to look at Jesus' life as gospel conquering as well, mm-hmm. you know, because he goes out and conquers disease, mm-hmm. right? And and like abusive teaching and spiritual enemies. Yeah, that's right. He casts out demons. Yeah. He heals sick, heals sick people. He raises the dead. He rebukes uh, oppressive uh, traditions and like religion and religiosity. Yeah. Like, and he's conquering territory and yeah, casting like all out the enemies. enemies that we still see today. Like, like religious hypocrisy. Yep. Jesus goes and conquers it. Right. The like, he literally was just like, you hypocrites, you hypocrites to you whitewashed too. Yeah. Like you brood of vipers. <laughs> yeah. Chronic illness. Yep. Jesus goes and conquers it. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever extent demonization and psychological trauma overlap, Jesus goes and conquers it. Yes. Death itself. Mm-hmm. Jesus conquers it. Like there is no like, or even like the um, religious critique of like sexual sinners or political sinners. Right. So you have people like Matthew, who's yep. a tax, tax collector, collector, sold himself out to the liberal elite of the Romans or right. whatever it yep. is. And then you have prostitutes and sinners. And what does Jesus do? He comes in and he conquers the religious hypocritical shame shame that they've heaped upon them right he conquers it frees them he He liberates them from that yeah totally so it's just like really interesting to think about that um and i think we i think we can tend to like like we tend to go like was it all man or all spiritual that we're warring against i think we can do the same thing with jesus you know we can be like is it all cross or all life? Is it everything oh. that he did in his death or everything that he did in his life? And I'm like, it's both, mm-hmm. you know, like through his death and resurrection, you know, he conquered, it was his, it was his strategic chess play yeah. to conquer his enemy. And now he comes to us and gives us the same commission he gave Joshua. Don't be afraid, mm-hmm. go out and conquer. So like, yeah, we actually can go out and conquer illness and yeah. demonization and oppressive social structures and hypocrisy. And we actually should be walking around knowing that we're in war zones mm-hmm. and that we've been called to wage war, not belligerently, angrily, um, narrow-mindedly or anything like that. But unafraid. But unafraid with conviction, but we're doing it like out of love, which is how we said that we yeah. are supposed to reflect on God's actions here. We love people into freedom you know like we do that by praying for them that their diseases would be healed you know like right we do that like we we pray against evil spirits like just which are just things that sound weird to modern ears they i mean they sound yeah even for somebody who studies the bible now for a living as a pastor pretty (laughs) much for a living too it's like it still sounds weird yes to primarily look through the lens like to to take off that like that separation between like the secular world and the spiritual world. Yeah. And to be like, no, 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 like you can't, 
simplistically separate them that way. Mm-hmm. The spiritual world and the physical world are the same. Like they're inseparable. And the fact that you can't see one doesn't mean it's not influencing you, which is why Paul is bringing up like disputes in the sec- in the Corinthian church are fanned into flame by Satan. Like you can't like just right. unceremoniously rip them apart. Like that's not the way the world They're too intricately works. intertwined. So that's the way God has designed humans. Like it's not like we have a soul side of us and a body side of us. If he took the spirit side out of us, we'd be fine. Right. Or if we took our consciousness out, we'd continue to exist. Like yeah. that's not the way we work. Right. And God, anyway. That's and it's the, not the way we go to war. It's not the way we go to war. That's yeah. exactly, that's, that's the thread. I was like, yeah. I lost, I just got lost <laughs> in my own thoughts. That's right. Um, and I think there's something else to to like to tie a bow on too with the um, uh, the, the idea about the land being at rest. Mm-hmm. That there's two things at least I want to talk about with that for the here and now, where it's like uh, there is sin. When we think about sin and the enemy, uh, we can think of it um, in terms of either actions, right? That mm-hmm. sin is an action. And yep. we we do commit sins, but sin from a biblical like standpoint is a force. Yeah, it's a power. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It's capital a, S. Capital sin. S sin is a power that dominates your heart and makes everything you do wrong. Even when you think it's right and good and moral, it actually has the wrong motivations or the wrong implications or wasn't fully true or fully good. Mm-hmm. And so sin has conquered our hearts and needs to be vanquished. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus conquers sin in your life and the oh. Holy Spirit comes and dwells in your land, in, in the land of your body, the land has rest. Yeah, the, like we ourselves, our heart, our, yes. our mind, our body, our spirit has rest. Has rest. Yes. Jesus is bringing shalom to your body. He, like, he, he, as a warrior, he conquers our heart. Yes. And brings rest. That's right. And uh, and so like that's really good to name. And then you should make, then let's talk about physical land uh-huh. because like we're not just we won't be spiritual creatures forever. No, like we won't like exist on a harp in heaven is what I'm no, trying to say. That's we're, right. This land that we live on, whether in China or America, will be redeemed and restored when God makes His new yes. heavens and new earth. Right. So Joshua 11 and 12 is going to happen again. Yeah. In a very different way, it's going to happen again. And Jesus is described in Revelation as a warrior mm-hmm. coming to earth right. with robes dipped in blood, holding a sword, right? Yeah. And he is going to redeem the earth. Like, yeah. and like, he's going to do it out of love. And it's going to be a good thing yeah. because there will no longer be child sacrifice. Like, there will no longer be depression. There will no longer be demonization. There will no longer be police brutality. There will no longer be division. Like he will slay everything. All that, sin. All sin. All, all lowercase and capital S sin, he will slay. And yeah. there will be peace in all the land. And the entire land will have rest on every side. Mm-hmm. And God will finally have a place to dwell with man. And that's, right. that's what we hear at the end of this yeah, story yeah. called the Bible. Which is, behold, my dwelling is now with man. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a place of peace to be with my people, and like that's the good news of the, the of, warrior Jesus. Of the warrior Jesus is yeah. that he comes, he is come, he has come to win a decisive victory over sin and the devil, and he will come again to to gain a final victory over all evil in the world, and he will have a place of rest to live with us forever. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel and our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.